Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to Potsdill Radio. I'm your host, Matt Healy, Chief Editor of Potsdill.com, your independent Irish whiskey resource, where we distill and analyze the latest news and releases in the market today. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors. The Irish Whiskey Magazine, which is the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. Find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com. And the Tua Glass, the contemporary glass that's quickly becoming the iconic symbol which is uniting Irish whiskey drinkers around the globe. Get yours at tuaglass.ie. Thanks for joining us for the second installment of Potstilled Radio. This week we're travelling down to the eternally beautiful Kinsale County Cork, where I sat down over a Tashcom with Pierce Lines Global Spirits Ambassador Connor Ryan to talk all things Irish whiskey in their portfolio and to see what it was that drove him to love our national spirit in the first place. So as always, grab yourself a drink, sit back, relax and enjoy. Good afternoon, Matty. Thanks for coming down to Kinsale and having a chat with us. Uh, not a problem. We're certainly a little bit far away from the distillery up in Dublin. So do you want, I suppose, to give a little introduction about why you were in Kinsale? Um, I suppose how I ended up getting involved with Pierce Lines Distillery was uh, people working um, with, with the business and knew me from different, different facets. And I suppose they asked me to get involved primarily at the start when it came to developing the blends that they brought out and kind of narrating information on the website and f- scripts, you know, for the tour guides and whatnot, because uh, I suppose myself, I'm based in Kinsale because I've got, um, I have a bar in Kinsale called the Folk House since 2009. Which, uh, which we might add that we are in at the moment. Which we are in at the moment, <laughs> yes, indeed. So there'll be a few clinking glasses and a bit of background noise, so I well, with us on that it, one. It's Father's <laughs> Day, so I suppose people are getting out and about and saying hello at lunchtime. Um, so yeah, I'm based in, well, I live in Kinsale, but I'm kind of based inside my car at the moment, you know, I, as, as you should be, uh, driving all over the countryside in Ireland and beyond, I suppose. Uh, I've been in America five times already this year, and China once, and uh, Europe. That doesn't. That doesn't take a long drive to pace in your car. Well, <laughs> I, I was actually, I was only laughing though. Yeah, I've done about fifteen thousand kilometers in the last uh, less than three months, and that's only in the the car side of things. That's not air miles. Well, before before we go into, <coughs> excuse me, before we go into, I suppose everything else, Pierce Lions related and whiskey related. You must be the hardest working man in Ireland. You're what, Monday through Friday morning in Dublin, and then you're back down here for, to, you've got a pub to run down here for the weekends. And you're well, I'm, I'm lucky. My, my sister's down here in the bar with me, so obviously I've got uh, some, someone with a vested interest to uh, look, a, <laughs> look after the place. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Um, I, I would do seven days a week. I, I accidentally ended up coming into the, the role with Pierce Lines Distillery. Um, as I said, I've friends involved in, in the spirits business in there, in the, in, in the development side of the whole distillery side of things. And uh, because the bar here would have, I suppose, last year we were lucky enough to get uh, All-Ireland, uh, the Munster, we got a, the Munster um, Irish Whiskey Bar of the Year, and Garavan's, um, absolutely rightly so, won the overall. Um, yeah, there was great bars. It was great to be involved in that. So it's hard to kind of keep up 
you know, I suppose the whiskey side of things down here, and then obviously the whiskey side of things, Pierce Lines Distillery. But from from the guys involved in the distillery, I suppose they wanted a guy who could, I suppose, when he's talking about it, he practices what he preaches. So if you come from a bar that just got uh, best whiskey bar in Munster and first runner up, you know, gold medal for the previous three years. That was good. I also would be involved in the cork with the setup and the uh, running of the cork whiskey society with a phenomenal committee in the cork whiskey society. Uh, Chairman Lee Murray and then uh, treasurer Eric Ryan, and then we got Ray and Arnie and JP. Phenomenal committee there, and we do regular tastings every three weeks practically now because the demand is so big. We have a great membership there from the cork whiskey society, and then from the other side of things, I suppose. Um, they also asked me in because of I would have worked a lot with cocktails. I would have been lucky enough to represent Ireland internationally in cocktail competition before, and I suppose they just wanted some kind of an overall overall knowledge of where the the flavor profile might be for people, and develop the blends, and maybe a little little bit of insight in what the customer might be looking for in one, three, five, seven years time when it comes to setting up a barrel program for the distillery. All right. So if you're the, the, those unfamiliar with us in, I suppose, uh, and the Pierce Lyons operations in Ireland, obviously Pierce Lyons being the, the founder of Alltech, which is uh, world-renowned in lots of different industries, uh, most, I suppose, notably for anyone listening, uh, there'd be the Alltech distilleries in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And I think you might have one or two other spots around Kentucky as well or throughout the United States. Yep. Um, There's the town, town branch, this distillery in Kentucky, in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, that makes bourbon, rye, and at the time when they started distilling 10 years ago there, um, they started producing single malt whiskey, even though it doesn't have quite a category in the U.S. whiskey industry. There was, there were, it was the first um, single malt to be produced in Kentucky since 1919, since just before Prohibition times. And they're actually celebrating their 10th year anniversary as distillery there um, this year. So Pierce himself, I suppose, would have come from a background in brewing and stilling. And he used that expertise then to go into a more yeast um, specialized business, being all tech. Uh, he, he was the first Irish guy to get a master's in brewing distilling from the British Institute of Brewing Distilling. After he did his, some internship inside in the, um, the Hart Brewery, Guinness Brewery, the original Powers, John's Lane, which was quite cool. And he was also worked as one of the engineers on the um, what we call, what we in the business call, the new Middleton Distillery, that, which opened in 1975. Then after that, the oil crisis was after hitting in the US. So he went over there and used his brewing and distilling expertise to start um, distilling spirit that could be used as a fuel alternative. And from that, basically, one day someone said to him, um, they were talking about yeast, and basically yeast is the building block for your, your beer that you make, that you distill into your final spirit from whatever grains you're using. And uh, you realise, obviously, there's a whole world to be explored with yeast and that's where you set up the Alltech company to be a yeast based um, I suppose a yeast based company that explores the 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 options that yeast can give you down the line be it in alcohol be it in food and what he specialized in for, uh, first off was animal feed 
So what? Where did he? I suppose where's the tie on Pierce Lyons and back to Dublin and 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 where you fit into all of that? Well, Pierce um, he's from Dundalk originally. Um, he's on his mum's side of the family. There's a big tie into the Liberties area in Dublin. Um, on he would have he's this sixth generation of people in his family, direct lineage, to be involved in the brewing and uh, distilling industry in the, the Liberties area of Dublin. Before him, he had five generations of Coopers. Um, so, so he didn't pick up the hammer and crows, no? Well, he didn't because there was no business. He, his, un- his uncle happened to be, not by any whatever, just by design, um, the last man standing. He was the last Cooper in Smithfield. His grand-aunt happened to be the first female Cooper in Ireland. So that's a pretty cool claim to have in your family lineage. But yeah, five generations Coopers. Basically, the coopering business in Smithfield had died off because the whiskey industry had died off, as we know. And it's in a fantastic um, resurgence now at the moment. Um, it, it's coming back, hopefully, someday to its former glory days where the Irish whiskey spirit was the uh, best, the, the biggest consumed whiskey spirit in the world. And um, yeah, when the distillery, what now we call the distillery, the Pierce Lines Distillery in Dublin, it used to be. It, it's called St. James's Church. Before, what when he bought it over with his wife Deirdre, it was a lighting shop. Before that, it was an indoor vegetable market. It had a kind of a very unusual uh, background after it was deconsecrated as a church. And uh, they set about in 2011, end of 2011, start 2012, uh, restoring this church back to its former glory. And uh, even down to the, the previous owners had bricked up all the stained glass windows. The place had a huge amount of um, rot in the ceilings. Bricks had started falling away. The the level of detail that they put into the restoration is just phenomenal. And even down to, a, they had to reopen um, a stone quarry in France just to get the, the exact stone to match the interior <laughs> of the building. So the level of detail was phenomenal. I suppose it, um, Deirdre, who spearheaded the... Mrs. Lyons, who spearheaded the um, restoration project, her attention to detail is second to none. Even the stained glass windows that we've put in and to the distillery, they all depict the different scene in the brewing and distilling industry. So from the outside, it's got a, it still ties in with your ecclesiastical kind of vibe with church. Yeah, yeah. But on the inside, then it tells a different story. And, and Dr. Lyons, um, God rest him now, used to always say when he was in the church that. The Pure Science Distillery is its history in the remaking. It's he, he you see himself as a caretaker for the building. There's been a church on that site for over eight hundred years, and his part now is just to add another chapter to the history of the Saint James's Church. So I'm thinking before we go, I suppose any deeper in the rabbit hole of, of the, the kind of distilling end. I'm just I'm intrigued for anyone who hasn't seen the church that uh, Pierce Lines is in there's an amazing it's a 10 ton glass steeple you put on the top uh, absolutely um, the the spire that was on the church um, had gotten blown down by lightning so they just capped off um, the spire decades ago because the, the Pierce Lines distillery wasn't going to be a church again the Dublin Corporation weren't in favour of putting back up a traditional steeple because it wasn't um, a religious church anymore so Deirdre Lyons and the architects came around with this phenomenal um, 
idea of instead of they wanted a spire just to finish off the building properly, but instead of your traditional spire, they put a glass spire on it. And yeah, um, it, we with steel and glass, there's well over 10 tons of spire up there, but they, they've now called it the Liberty Lantern. I suppose it's a new shining light in the uh, whiskey industry in the Liberties area. It's literally a shining light. Literally a shining light. No, <laughs> absolutely. So call it the Liberty's Lantern, and I suppose it's just to signify new life in the distillery, which is used to be the church, and I suppose for that whole area. I mean, it's um, there's one distillery up and functioning now, which is fantastic, and then you've got another distillery opening 150 metres down the road from us. So what used to be the Golden Triangle area of the Irish whiskey industry is, uh, is starting to come back in a fantastic way. With a lantern guiding the way. With a la- with, with, <laughs> yes, with a whiskey light lighting the way. Exactly, exactly. It's actually funny because I always look at it, it kind of reminds me of the bat signal. You know, you get the light just protruding through almost uh, towards the heavens at night time. What, what is great about it, I suppose, yeah, the foresight, they put colour changers in it, so whatever the occasion, you can change the colour of the lantern okay. to, you know, it's green for St. Patrick's Day. Um, when Star Wars was premiered in Dublin, I know this is kind of going off tangent, um, we actually did an online poll to which colour we should put the light to be a lightsaber. Would it be would it be the would it be the dark side or Safe. you know We're yeah. going towards the Jedi? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So well, yeah. what what one? Would you believe the uh, red? This is explains a lot about the whiskey drinkers. The, the whiskey drinkers they have a little <laughs> bit of a dark side to them, I suppose. All right, fair enough. So, so explain, uh, I suppose, uh, what what is what does it entail in your role for the the Pierce Lines and Alltech uh, Distillery then? So, um, as we said at the start, uh, um, I suppose I was hired to be the global spirits ambassador for the distillery, but. Um, this company it's huge the distillery team is actually very small I mean in, internationally Alltech as a mother company would employ 6,000 people with a physical offices in 128 countries so it looks like a huge entity but what's fantastic about the distillery side of things and the beverage side of things there it's a it's a very small core team so even though I'd you know be the the global spirits ambassador I end up working very closely with the distiller and some other um, key people in the beverage side of things to develop the blends for the whiskies. We're having the Pierce Distillers Choice here now while we're having a little chat, and it'd be rude not to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so bring out the blends for the whiskies, and then you know working on um, barrel program, and I suppose and liaising somewhat with the the marketing team. Obviously, they'd have they'd have a vision of how the the bottlings will look. Um, and you might have a small look into that sort of things. They take care of that. But I suppose my job with Garold Cal, the head distiller, is to make sure the liquid going into the bottle now and in the future is uh, the best quality we can possibly produce and a, a best example of a, an Irish whiskey that that we can send out to the world at large. So I suppose one of the things that you know I myself I kind of have a have a fear of, and then I also notice that a lot of people I talk to around Ireland have a fear of. That at the moment, you know, there's so many distilleries in Ireland that are uh, up, just opening their doors and they're, they're bottling uh, third-party stock, which, of course, is not a bad thing. People are, are really putting their mark in it. But considering there's really only one kind of stock source they really come from, 
Um, and a, a double distilled source at that, not to say too much. If you know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I suppose a lot of people have, and I've asked a couple of the other people um, who have been on this uh, podcast, what um, is almost a fear in my mind and other people's minds that we'll be almost trying to replicate what people start with. You know, you start with someone else's spirit, you've got that brand up and running. And, and there's almost a fear that we'll all try to replicate that and all become the same distillery just in different places. Um, and I, 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 I suppose for me, I'd heard a long time ago that Pierce Lyons had some kind of operation going. He distilled something, then perhaps stopped and then reopened. And, and even for me, it was kind of a, an enigma. And I remember uh, being on a phone call with you. I was in the middle of the fringes of Washington, D.C., going to a distributor meeting and uh, being on a WhatsApp call with you. And you were trying to explain it to me and I was confused as anything. So do you want to break down Absolutely. what yeah. that was? Uh, so, right there. Uh, Pierce Lines Distillery, um, well, I suppose the Pierce Whiskey as a brand is in a very local, uh, luckily it's in a very unique position because you're 100% right, Matty. I mean, for people to bring out a whiskey, uh, we know in Ireland it has to be a minimum of three years. At three years, the whiskey is generally not particularly, it's palatable, but not particularly spectacular. I mean, unless you're very creative with uh, using very sweet, sweet barrels or very barrels that will impart a lot of flavor, three years isn't enough. So you're looking at any, anywhere between three to five to get something reasonable. Most of the, the, the big volume blends that we know internationally would be three to five years old. And the, I suppose the unique thing about Beer Science Distillery was while, he, while the, the distillery had been bought, by Dr. Lyons and Mrs. Lyons. They had brought over Kentucky Vendome stills, so a double distillation, a double set of stills. Um, they brought them over from Kentucky. So in Town Branch, they use Scottish stills in Town Branch. They were the, they were the <laughs> to, first- To clarify, Town Branch being in Lexington, In Kentucky. Lexington, in Kentucky. So because he's an Irish man, he wants to kind of bring, you know, a part of his flavor uh, profile into Lexington. They were actually they were the first people on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail to pot still only and not use column still their their bourbon, and on the flip side then when uh, Dr. Lyons set up the distillery in Dublin, wanted to have a Kentucky Vendome still set up. So just kind of mi- mixing it up. He liked mixing things up. So the stills that you see in the church today in St James's Street in the Pierce Lyons Distillery were actually set up in Carlow in with O'Hara's Brewing. Shout out to O'Hara's Brewing. Yep, shoehorned into <laughs> O'Hara's Brewing. You have to absolutely thank Seamus and the team down there for working with us on that. But the it was put into O'Hara's Brewing, and we were distilling since um, late 2012, um, end of September, start of October 2012. So that means today we've actually got a five-year-old spirit, and very soon we're going to bring out a five-year-old single malt to the market. And I suppose what's going to be very unique about that is that it'll be the first time a five-year-old age statement has been put on a bottle from a brand new distillery with 100% new DNA in it um, since the early 90s and over 25 years. So when we brought out the core range at the start, the distillery opened last September to the public, we brought out a range of four whiskies, the uh, Pierce Original, Pierce Distiller's Choice, Founder's Choice and the Coopers. And the Original and Distiller's are two blends. Uh, very high malt content blends, I suppose, for a blend. Um, normally, a blend would be 20 25% malt, the remainder of the grain. 
the original is 36% malt, the distillers was 38% malt, but in that malt um, makeup, we actually use some of our own, we use half of our own uh, malt in the mix. So when we came to market, or when Pierce Lines released the Pierce Lines whiskey, we had our own new whiskey DNA, a new whiskey bloodline had been introduced into the market straight away. So it wasn't all copy and paste third party spirit, or 12 year old uh, founder's choice, absolutely, was um, sourced whiskey, but then uh, Dr. Lyons himself picked up the barrels to create um, a certain flavor uh, profile that he wanted, something very vanilla forward, you know, uh, reminiscent of a an Irish whiskey that had a kind of a, a good bourbon influence. Bone, yeah. yeah. And then our Cooper's choice, we did something uh, quite unusual with that, even though that was sourced whiskey as well. That was averaging about a nine-year-old whiskey, but four and a half years before bottling, there was there was malt and grain brought together, married together, vatted together, and recast into first fill sherry bonds. So what we did was we created a blend. It was 85% malt, 15% grain. The whiskey was vatted together, recast into first fill sherry bonds. So we aged the blend for another four and a half years in the sherry bot. And so you actually put the blend, you, the, you vat it and then blend it, or sorry, further aged yeah. afterwards. So, so we aged the blend for four and a half years, wow. which is, you know, people do it in Scotland a lot, but it wouldn't be done a lot in Irish whiskey, not in living memory. You know, people normally bring your component whiskies together and you create the flavor profile that you want. So it's always a little bit of a gamble because you're creating a blend and then your age, it, it's, it's not even a finish, it's a recasking because it's again for another four and a half years of its life. So you don't know what's going to come out the other end. And thankfully, uh, it came out with a very unique, very interesting flavored whiskey that did exactly what it says on the bottle. It's the Cooper's choice. It was a saluted cap to the Cooper's because when you taste it, you're getting a huge amount of charred wood, toasted wood, caramelized orange, burnt treacle, really, really wood forward flavors. And then as the wood dissipates, you get a lovely sherry burnt from it. So we put our own stamp completely on the sourced whiskey that was in the Cooper's. We obviously had our own whiskey DNA in our first two. And then the uh, founders, the 12 year old was a straight up um, third party spirit that we, I suppose, uh, blended together to make uh, a certain flavor profile. I suppose you alluded to earlier that uh, Dr. Pierce Lyons unfortunately passed away, I suppose it was earlier this year, the end of last year. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, the second week of March, it was a bit of a shock to everyone. It wasn't in the, um, wasn't foreseen. No. So uh, a great loss to obviously the old, the old tech company, the old tech family. Um, but I suppose a visionary loss to the, the business world of yeast brewing and fermentation. I, and I suppose one of the things that almost makes a, a movie script story of the unfortunate loss was that his five-year-old being the first release you guys have had of 100% own grain distilled by the Pierce Lyons Irish side of the company was to be released almost at uh, the packaging I believe was unseen by Pierre he wanted it released the moment in in the all tech uh, fair which was yep. I believe unfortunately the day he also passed away which was I suppose kind of a I don't even know what to make of it it's a hell of a coincidence um, it's the, yeah there's, there's there's an extra element of sadness in that because um, we unveiled just the, the attendees of the um, 
the Brews and Foods Craft Fair in um, the Convention Centre in Dublin. Uh, we had the packaging on display um, for the, the, the new five-year-old going forward. And unfortunately, Pierce wasn't there to see the realisation of his own vision in a bottle. But some of the things I think people don't really realise, and it's only really when you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of all tech, is like the, the church Pierce set up, you know, the, the investment he put into it was, was really more of a love than, at least it appears more of a, than a commercial decision. Even the all tech fairs, they're, they're a celebration of kind of all things quality, passion, booze related. And it doesn't even, you know, the people there aren't all tech customers or employees. It's, it's kind of an everyone celebration. And I'm sure that that's even just in the business world kind of a, an, an anomaly in itself, which is just something I've always admired personally. Yeah, there was a, always a certain amount of philanthropy into um, what Dr. Lyons did, um, both in the business world and personally. Personally, he did an awful lot that the world at large doesn't know, a lot, a lot of philanthropy and a lot of um, worked with a lot of charities that the world at large doesn't know. But on the business side of things, I suppose he was of the mentality that, you know, rising tides lift all boats. You know, and if he could help display how the the amazing um, offerings that Ireland has got coming up to the ranks with craft beer, because we've got um, obviously our own range of beers as well um, from the Station Works Brewery. So Fox's Rock is our own main brand of beers. And obviously there's, there's a great tie-in between our beers and our whiskies that will come down the line in the future, which you can kind of guess what's going to happen there. Um, the stuff already in the pipelines and... With the All Tech Fair, yeah, he wanted everyone to be able to, everyone who's new and up and coming, display your wares together because I suppose, um, you know, the whole revolution or re evolution, I suppose, instead of revolution, the re evolution of the Irish whiskey industry and the, and, and the craft beer side of things, um, it, if it moves forward together, it'd be successful together rather than just having people going off on tangents of their own. You know, if people work together, you can move forward together. And when you mentioned the yeast side of things, I suppose from day one, um, when we were distilling in Carlo, the yeast that we use for the Pierce whiskey is in-house cultivated yeast by Alltech, which you'd obviously, I suppose, you'd expect it to be, but I suppose you have to say it. Uh, so it's it's yeast strains that they, obviously, you, you take from vaults, whatever you grow, you cultivate, you see what works best with your spirit, the end flavor profile that you're looking for. So the Pierce whiskey that's coming out now and in the future, and it's all been done with our own in-house cultivated yeast and all the bourbon barrels that we use that are going to be in the future coming uh, Pierce five-year-old release and whiskey subsequent. Uh, they're all aged in the town branch bourbon barrels. So we've complete control over the entire supply chain of everything from the yeast that we're using down to the barrels that we're aging. And then, uh, you know, there's lots of numbers bandied about, but it's easy to say that at least 60% of the flavor of your spirit is going to come from your barrel. And if you're using good barrels, you're going to, there's a lot better chance that you're going to have a better spirit. And I suppose by taking our barrels from the town branch, we literally get them sent over once they're disgorged and you're putting your spirit into the freshest possible barrels you can get your hands on. So I suppose if anyone listening doesn't realize the kind of I suppose, significance of the fact that, you know, uh, Pierce Lines Distillery using their own yeast, there's a the majority of Irish distilleries would use kind of one strain of distiller's yeast, an MX strain, uh, 
also bandied I love I love talking to brewers you get the it's funny kind of the two sides of the same coin but I remember talking to brewers and they were saying well that's turbo yeast it just eats up everything makes as much alcohol as possible and it's great for distilling but uh, it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's two <laughs> sides of the same coin absolutely exactly. um, you'll have I mean brewers can play around the yeast a little bit more yeah you know because you want to do different kinds of levels of ABB ABB but at the end of the day I suppose when you're distilling you want to create uh, you know, you're, when it's a single malt, let's say, you want to make your sour wheat beer and you want to get a high alcohol because what you want to do is basically get as, uh, keep, obviously, the flavour of the grains themselves but get a high alcohol at the end of the day in order for you to make your whiskey. Yeah. So, as you, I suppose, you're coming from here in the folk houses where, as we're sitting, um, and you're, you're gone into kind of a... A world that's slightly familiar, but I'm sure quite different. You know, you're you, as we've chatted about it, different blending. You've become a gin blender, or, or I suppose recipe maker as well, which I, I think is, is brilliant. Um, what would be the kind of things that you know you, you went in thinking would be obviously there's going to be lots of challenges to the job, and I and this is a question I really love asking everyone on the, on the podcast. Um, there'd be lots of things you think would be challenging. What's something that you thought? wouldn't be an issue and and kind of rare its head something's really kind of caught you off guard and blindsided you how organized you have to be with your production with your dry goods uh by dry goods being you know your your labeling your corks i mean it can you think something's a great idea for for the packaging all of a sudden you realize you have to wait five months for it and it delays everything so <laughs> it's like literally I mean, it's great. You've got whiskey. Getting it into the bottle can be just as a problem as actually producing the whiskey in the first place. Sometimes, you know, if, the, if hopefully you're, you're not waiting three years for it to get in the bottle. No, no. Well, <laughs> it can be it can be challenging when there's orders in and you're you're you know. But yeah, the, the packaging side of things is uh, something that I I didn't realize I'd end up dealing with, or maybe not so much dealing with, but being reliant upon. And then trying to get your production runs done, kind of, you know, balancing between um, your orders because we're lucky enough that we're after going into, in a significant enough way, into the state, into America. And we're also gone into China and Japan and just kind of measuring, I suppose, balancing up the stocks, um, you know, to create the continual blends to be forecasting. Um, demand and basically flavor mapping your stock and earmarking what's going into what that's i suppose so you, a part of it that i never thought i'd end up um having to be within my remit mm. um i thought sure i i tell people all the time you know behind the bar about whiskey or at the society tastings i tell them or at a cocktail demonstration um and that's all the fun bit and uh then you realize this to do the fun bit, I there's a lot more there's a lot more below the scenes that you know you you don't bank on, or you probably hope that someone else would be worried about, not yourself. <laughs> um, I know you've gone into a similar role where where, where you'd be worrying about juggling a lot more um, things in 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 the, in the whole whiskey world or in the whole distillery world to actually put a product into a bottle, and um, yeah, you kind of realise the there's, there's a lot more to it. Than you might first of all think but yeah i thought i'd be doing a lot more of the talking side of things and that but it's great it's great experience to be 
having to be involved in the production and you know your stocks and what what what's in what location and the age and how it's aged and you know making sure that there's enough there forecasting for the future and then you know working on barrel programs for the next three five seven ten years you know when you're getting barrels in you're putting some in, some new make into unusual barrels to create component whiskies and you're bringing some to finishes of whiskies that you already have and uh, yeah there's a lot more juggling to it than than what was uh, I suppose first introduced to me as the job yeah, I suppose for myself you're alluding to I picked up a similar role there recently for a different company but uh, I think one of the one of the things I had to learn fast and quick was what MOQ meant and I was told on my first day this is going to be the most important word in my <laughs> yes. life a minimum order yeah. quantity and I think that really funny because the best ideas in the world can be waylaid by a minimum order quantity far higher than you were expecting <laughs> and then on the flip side you can get caught where you kind of people are ordering way more than you expected mm. and then you have to meet those Absolutely. orders yeah. the, it's the worst crime in the world for someone to want to buy something off you and you're not giving it to them when they want it yeah that's the worst thing of all so as part of your role as you're saying you're traveling to japan and china and the united states and whatnot what are, what are, what are you experiencing from a consumer point of view obviously irish whiskey in your re-evolution as you can nicely point but that's um, what it is you know no, abso- absolutely um and it's funny because as 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 a, a friend of ours i suppose an author be well known to many people phenomenal connor said and he's kind of given me quite a, a nice little sound bite i love is to innovate is to do exactly what we did a hundred years ago and it's probably the first time in any industry that's really come across to innovate to do exactly the historical bit but I suppose we were historically one of the most popular spirits in the world and we're, we're trying to claw our way back up there but as you said you kind of can kind of flavor map the world different markets want different things but what like what's your your Per you know, thirty second elevator pitch on the different markets. You know, are there some? Are there sweeter palettes in the U.S.? Are you more high scale in Japan? Are you more mainstream China? Like what? What? What's out there for the world of Pierce Limes or Irish whiskey? Well, in I, I suppose for Irish whiskey, the world's our oyster. I suppose at the end of the day, because we have to go back and re-educate um, the world to the palate of Irish whiskey. It is. It is distinctive spirit. Um, it you, I mean, in a blind tasting, you literally all you know an Irish whiskey versus another country's whiskey because they are unique. And what's great about it is we do have a unique spirit, and we do have a unique flavor profile. And traveling around, obviously, we know that there's numbers shouted out. You know how many percent um, Irish whiskey is growing every year. Um how much consumption of Irish whiskey is going on. That's down to the, the good work of the the very established distilleries. And a lot of it is volume based. I suppose what I've found and what you might have found in the US yourself, Maddie, is that we need to educate people on why they trade up, um, why an Irish whiskey is as valuable as a single malt scotch that they might know of. I suppose you know, in the US, particularly, single malt, seeing people only understand what single malt is. And it instead of people understanding that it's just a style of whiskey and the style of the grains that you use, it it carries prestige that it's very hard to explain that when you bring a good blended Irish whiskey, 
or a pot still Irish whiskey to them, they're kind of going, but it's not a single malt. It's like, so there's a perceived value in the word single malt internationally, and it's up to us to re-educate people to, you know, understanding that single malt is a style of whiskey. It doesn't make it any better or worse than a blend. It doesn't make it any better or worse than a pot still. It doesn't make it a scotch. It doesn't make it a scotch, <laughs> correct? No, it <laughs> right? But yeah, it's it, um, a lot, all the numbers that we're seeing of how quickly Irish whiskey is growing is a lot of it's based on volume whiskies and not um, perceived premium whiskies mm. or semi-premium or I even hate using the word premium, but we need to educate people why they need to trade up internationally to, to pay that little bit more, to pay the same as uh, a 12 year old single malt, to pay the same as they would for um, a very established Scotch brand, let's say, and just you know, education. And it's funny, stateside, it, um, it, it's about that education. And then when I've gone into, let's say, China, they're dying to find out. They, they, they want to know as much as possible. They're very, I, I, I love the bar scene over there. I, I was lucky enough to be able to um, do guest shifts in some, some phenomenal bars while I was over there in China. And they want to know about your whiskey, they want to know how to use it, and um, they were very inquisitive about it, Where and they want to embrace the newness, and I just find in the US there's a, there's a lot more education required. So perhaps, an over, uh, I suppose there's an abundance of information in the US being thrown at consumers, is that kind of, that they, they don't have, there's so many things coming at them that they require more education, or is it just a disinterest, or unfamiliarist? Uh, I suppose I suppose their foundation for volume Irish whiskey has been a certain few brands, and I suppose they've got the volumes through um, being a shooting whiskey mm-hmm. or shots whiskey. Yeah, yeah. being shots whiskey. Um, we need to get people to understand that there are much more. There's much more flavor to be had. There's much more upgrading to be had, and I suppose just to get involved in why you should. Um, upsell yourself mm. from a rail bar, from a rail whiskey up to a, a sipping whiskey and make it Irish. I, you know, this being where we're sitting, um, a whiskey focused bar, I get fantastic um, people in, you know, doing tasting boards and really wanting to get to know us. But I suppose Irish whiskey internationally, we know it's growing hum- at a humongous rate, but not all of that is in the semi-premium or premium market it's it's a lot of it is volume based whiskey so i suppose we need to get out there and let people know why they should uh upgrade themselves to a a whiskey a glass of whiskey that's a little bit more you've actually you've actually made me think of that i suppose an interesting question that perhaps of, of all the people i've spoken to for this series you might be best poised to answer this question um you know as you said the irish whiskey category in the us is booming uh, mainly driven by large companies yep. and, and, and in fairness the likes of Irish distillers or Bushmills who have had several others at this point um, have really they've paved the way they, they, absolutely and and there's and, and I want to I suppose assure anyone listening that neither of us are, are doing oh, anything they've been doing because without them there'd be nothing yep. they, um, they, they spent the money yeah. to get people to know the word Irish whiskey again Exactly. So, a hundred percent, we wouldn't be here now without the work of um, 
your Bushmills and your uh, Bernard Rickard and your Jameson Brown. So here's a question for you. Ireland is a funny spot because we're kind of, you know, I hear the comment a lot that Irish whiskey is kind of booming everywhere other than Ireland. And, and in fairness, Ireland being a very beer-focused, beer-centric market, um, it's almost, in sometimes when I speak especially to fledgling companies, they'll want their whiskies on the shelves in Ireland to be nice to be seen, but knowing that they're, they're you know, their they're realities lie in export and that might be due to the consumers or due to the taxes or due to the prices because of whatever. What, what What's your your opinion I suppose on the Irish scene being a, a public and an ambassador for different spirits and a cocktail bartender and, and, and now a, and a global spirits ambassador when you're looking at the likes of the US to Ireland is, is Ireland a priority for drinks companies in Ireland or is, is, it, is it just nice to have and are they all kind of bought out by the, the big boys I suppose that, that's kind of got a, a two sides to it if you're serious about your whiskey you want to be taken seriously in your own country. And if you don't, and all you're interested in export, then you're treating, oh look, and whiskey is a business, okay? Uh, but if, if, if you don't want to be taken seriously in your own country, then it's just a business to you. And whiskey should also be about a passion, uh, as well as balancing your passion and your vision with a commercial entity. So I absolutely agree that people should make sure to try and make sure that their own business, uh, their own whiskey is taken seriously in your own country. But then on the flip side of it, I think that because we've got such an availability of great whiskies in Ireland and such choice, when you travel, and I know you've traveled with it as well, you do not see that range of whiskey out. I think people have a, a false viewing of what's going on internationally when they look at Ireland, because you've got a huge range of diversity on the show. So you have a huge range of uh, everything from where things come from, how they're finished, their price ranges, everything. There's a huge range of Irish whiskey on our shelves. And when I suppose when maybe new people are getting into it for the first time, you kind of get a little, little bit blinkered with what's going on in Ireland and realize that, you know, all the volume is being sold by one or two skews of people's products abroad. So yes, it's important to be um, taken seriously in Ireland. And that's why people have so many like small runs and single casks and so many great flavoured whiskies in Ireland. Um, whiskies with great flavour rather than flavoured whiskies. Yes, whiskies with great flavour. <laughs> We're not yeah. talking Paddy Beast. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, whis- whiskey with great flavour. Um, yeah, see, that wouldn't even enter into my head. I wouldn't even go down the road of flavoured whiskey. So that, that's why when I say a flavoured whiskey, it, it means it tastes really flavoursome. Um, but yeah, internationally, you don't get that diversity on the shelves and it is very hard for anyone new um, because you, you have people going, I mean, Irish whiskey is, there's a huge bubble of excitement about it in Ireland, but that bubble of excitement doesn't exist internationally insofar as there's a very small pockets of bars to get behind, like about Irish whiskey as a category. We, we, know, we know some of them in Paris and Melbourne and there's, there's, there's great ones internationally that want to have all of your products but it is very hard for new companies to get listed um, because there's so many offerings out there internationally now at the moment. Um, so it's about getting good balance between um, what you're making available and what you can actually sell at the end of the day. Okay. Um, what do you think of uh, the future of whiskey tourism or drinks tourism in Ireland? Do you think we're going to be 
Is it more about the consumption and the beer atmosphere, or sorry, the pub atmosphere, or is it people really coming looking for that that genuine Irish kind of drinks experience? I whiskey tourism is going to be tourism is going to be huge for Ireland over the next number of years. Um, we're going to have a fantastic um, situation where we're going to become like, um, and the Scottish have done it so well because they've been at it for so long. We're going, people are going to come and map out various distilleries over various counties and actually genuinely try and get to a mall. Um, that's great for the visitor centres, it's great for brand recognition, and it's also great for the surrounding communities around those distilleries. Because uh, remember, you know, up to 86, 87, we, up to then there was two distilleries, then in 86, 87 we got a third distillery. Now I think on the Irish um, Whiskey Association site there was 13 um, distilleries with visitor centres today. Which so, is, apparently to be 18 by the end of the year, which is phenomenal. Which is phenomenal. Whiskey tourism is going to be huge and it's great to show Ireland as a destination for um, something else. I mean everybody knows you know what they come to Ireland for traditionally but it's great to have another thing facet. another yeah. facet to it I mean golf tourism became huge there 10 years ago and still very strong thankfully but as a great add-on you've got distillery you know um, the, the whiskey inquisitive people coming over to see what is this Irish whiskey stuff about and I suppose seeing is believing you know when you get to go into um, someone's distillery and you you see them and you talk to the people and you, you, you get to soak up some of the passion of of the people who are making it. It absolutely invests. And soak up some of the whiskey. I'm and sure. soak up some of the whiskey. But it absolutely <laughs> invests those people, those visitors into A, the Irish whiskey category, but B, the brands. And I suppose, I suppose that's all seeding and planting um, micro ambassadors for you for when they go back to their own countries and go, this Irish whiskey stuff is actually a lot better than we gave the credit for. Or, this particular brand is, um, have you heard this? And I suppose the whispers then go out and hopefully then the, the whiskey will get the opportunity to follow suit and grow as quickly as the, um, the talk about So do you think that the, you know, we were talking about micro ambassadors there, but the, obviously the, 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 the passionate consumers currently are almost, I'd say, you know, mini ambassador. I wouldn't go as far as micro, but the, those who are really, really enthused and engaged with brands. Yeah. Um, do you think there's been kind of a shift in in any perception of Irish whiskey at the moment? Or are we still getting the same ultra passionate consumers? Or you know, because there's been such a boom in Irish whiskey, and this was any time you find anything that's been monetarily uh, exploding. Uh, you have different. Uh, we have different. Uh, I suppose interests coming along um, if there's money to be made you'll have a, an entirely different group of people as well or even just a, a shift in focus do you think the consumers are the same or has there been a, a shift in attention I um, obviously because the category is growing it's getting a lot more attention um, sometimes I mean there's a lot more people talking about it I mean you're very yourself Matty you were very early on in the days you're, you're kind of one of, one of the few that was you know being an online ambassador or creating discussion forums for um, Irish whiskey now there's loads of people doing it um, some less informed than others uh, which isn't always you know you're not getting a lot of independent thought you know you, you read a lot of this same information people are 
and again, unlike yourself, are afraid to voice a particular <laughs> a particular opinion of their own, you yeah. know, because um, you see there's, a, there's people getting involved that just want to kind of build up a relationship with a certain brand or brands by hoping, you know, they'll find certain favor with certain people. And, and by all means, if you do, fair play to you. Oh, would you do fair play to you? <laughs> you, you? You were never in it for finding favor with anyone to be fair to you. And which which is uh, <laughs> if which anyone, led to its own problem exactly yeah. for any for anyone listening uh, we weren't we weren't laughing I suppose in the face of anyone who is doing that no. we're we're laughing uh, more so at the fact that uh, myself and, and a few other people out there that have have not looked for for the I suppose the the, the free helping hand uh, have run ourselves into uh, sticky situations by I suppose speaking. What we believe to be truthfully, at least uh, one or tw- once or twice, but never, never, thankfully, in a, in a deformative way. At least, no, no, it, <laughs> it was always your personal opinion, which you're absolutely entitled to, and it was always informative. But you were never interested in conforming, which was which was all, <laughs> which is always good and refreshing because a lot of people who just you know a lot of the same. But from a customer point of view, absolutely, um, the choices are endless, and I suppose it's up to people to now because there is so many brands out there they have to kind of kind of get a handle of what's new what's not new where it comes from where it comes from and that's a very confusing place to be at the moment you know because if you weren't kind of paying attention 10 years ago when you start trying to get into it now it's kind of it's 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 very hard to understand whose spirit is what where it came from and what you know and you know if they finished its components what barrels and I, I, I suppose it's a confusing place to be right now because there are so many bottles available to a customer on a shelf but thankfully and I mean I've drank whiskey from multiple countries obviously as we all have there is not bad Irish whiskey out there thankfully touch wood like the whiskey that you actually the whatever it is it mightn't be to your palate but at least we always have good spirit going forward I mean, I've been in countries where I've drank poisonous spirit, you know, so the one good thing for the customer coming into the Irish whiskey um, category now is that we're, we've got a very consistently, we have a very good spirit to offer on the market to customers. I suppose then it's about educating people on where it comes from, why it tastes like it does, why should they be getting involved in um, one brand over another. And I suppose that's why with the Pure Science Distillery, when we brought out the whiskey first, the original and the distillers had our own um, malt in them, even though they were blends. Um, could could we have used much older stocks belonging to someone else and developed different whiskies? Absolutely. But I suppose what uh, Dr. Lyons wanted was for people to get invested in the journey, the newness of it. And I suppose if you get invested in the brand, you get to taste its development over time. So. That kind of runs me, funnily enough, into into a question I was going to ask you, which was, um, what what's something that you wish consumers knew about Irish whiskey that might not be evident? But I'm going to scrap that because while I thought of that, I thought of a different conversation that okay, we on. have a lot privately and amongst other whiskey uh, files, whether it be in the Cork Whiskey Society or even at the Irish Whiskey Society itself. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you very politely to take off your Pierce Lyons hat and okay. just become a the whiskey enthusiast that I got to know first. Yep. Um, what's your issue with water? 
And because it's an issue we both share, <laughs> and I mean that in a nice way, and it's, and it's not obvious to consumers. So that's one thing I want to touch on, because obviously there's so much out there that... And there's a lot of stories being founded on the subject of water when it comes to distilling. Water makes a huge difference when you're making a beer. Absolutely. Um, obviously, higher than soft water, you, you know, you'd have to soften your water. It was hard water to lime in it. You couldn't use it in your equipment. Water will have a big difference when you're making your beer. And I'm not a technical expert on brewing and distilling, by the way. Um, but water will obviously have a big difference when it comes to making your beer. But then when you're distilling it out, it's going to have a, a more minimal impact. It'll have an effect on how it's impacting with your yeast, with your grains at the start. But once you distill your spirit and you're bringing it up to maybe 75%, once you start it with a neutral water, and you know, in, mo- distilleries will have a situation where they can use reverse osmosis in their distillery. They'll neutralize the water. So basically, you're basically creating a pure water. You're taking out the minerals that people are looking for in beers when you're distilling. You'd use a, a neutral water. And then you'd use that neutral water to bring it back to cask strength, whatever your cask strength is. So if you're distilling to 75 and you're bringing it back to 63.5, great. Now, I do have a problem when people, like, they might actually do it. They might use the water they're saying they're using, but I don't know, like, why? Why? (laughs) Because how much it can't have that much of a flavor. Because if you just start using direct source water, to water back your spirit that you're going to leave inside in a cask that could have then bacteria in it and leave it aged for five, seven, ten years, you're you're running the risk of basically, you know, turning your whiskey off by you there could be bacteria or whatever components in, in the thing. And and just to clarify for anyone listening that we've I, I kind of intentionally threw you down a rabbit hole. Uh, what we're talking about is I suppose some some brands using the story of water saying they cut back with their own water source, be it a well or a river or a spring or whatever. But legally in the in the geographic indicator documents or the, the documents from the Department of Agriculture, water to cut back whiskey has to be put through a reverse osmosis yeah. process. So regardless of where it comes from, it has to be demineralized and purified. So even I suppose, as you were saying, if they did it. If they are using the water that they say they are, and I know some people are, it is treated in such a way that you could literally just use tap water to do the same thing. And I suppose you'd still have to demineralize the tap water. You, the you would, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'd run it through the same process, and you'd end up with the, practically the same neutral water. The only thing that makes a big difference is lime. And you have to get rid of that out of your, out of your system anyway. I think it's, all, it's almost funny. It's, it's a thing we talk about a lot because it's, it's such an odd Thing to harp on is that in beer it does make quite a difference and, and if it's the the cutting water it has to be demineralized but well, i actually um, know people who no, no, literally transport this. transport the water that the sailor are doing and use it to cut down the water their uh whiskey to cask strength or to bottling strength but at the end of the day all they're, they're still creating a neutral uh reverse osmosis demineralized whatever way you want to call it water it's, so it's, water isn't it's a, it's it's almost one of my uh, one of my, my pet peeve stories to base your whiskey on. Yeah. So I suppose on a on a lighter note, obviously yourself and myself know each other for being very passionate about Irish whiskey. One question I have for you actually is, what was the first I suppose whiskey that really got you into the category? Because mine is ridiculous. Uh, I know Fanon O'Connor, who we mentioned earlier, author of a glass apart. 
his was a green spot over in Connemara somewhere 10, 15 years ago. What was what was your your first uh, tipple? Is there something that really stood out as the first time you tried it? God, this is brilliant. Absolutely. Um, I suppose it was uh, Bushman's Blackbush. I'm a, I'm a touch older than yourself, Matty. I'm uh, nearing the 40 mark. So I suppose the offerings that were available on the shelf 20 years ago was much more um, simplistic and much smaller than what is available today. And I suppose balancing, um, obviously, your pennies at that time, your, your the, the money, <laughs> balancing the money with your uh, student life, with spoiling yourself a little bit. I suppose Blackbush was the one, and even today, over delivers for the price. Um, it was when I was nine. I remember when I was nineteen. I started drinking uh, Blackbush, and that's pretty much how I started drinking whiskey. From then on, I just constantly wanted to explore the category and uh, the different flavor profiles you can get from it. And and I suppose that that it was Blackbush was my my starting point. I think uh, well, one thing I think about Blackbush is that pretty much. I think everyone in the whiskey industry will have a, an agreement with you that it's absolute quality. I also really love the fact that it hasn't really changed much. Yeah. You know, it's it's just being a quality off a price, uh, a value for money, quality Obviously. offering for just so many years. I think I was saying my my uh, first internet or our delusion to Irish whiskey was uh, quite funny. Um, I suppose that my a very good friend of mine, uh, Eric Golding, he he convinced me when we were about. 20 that the cool thing to do was to drink jameson and ginger uh and and i suppose or was jameson lime and i think the two of us got confused as to the signature serve of, of jameson which was the jameson ginger and lime and we somehow got a little bit confused as to that we missed out the ginger in the middle and we used to drink jameson ice and lime cordial thinking we were the bees knees and the dogs Something else. I bet you felt like the uh, dogs. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a if, pretty if, grim. If anyone's wondering what uh, Jameson and Lime Cordial taste like together, it's bad. And um, we we used to drink it uh, with much protest from bartenders. Fair play to them in Ireland. You usually wouldn't have many comments on what you're drinking, but we got a few raised eyebrows, and we realized pretty quickly that wasn't <laughs> what we should have been drinking, and kind of diverted and, and segued into other whiskies and away from this bizarre confused mix of the signature serve that we started with but it was a funny place to start to come to where we well, are everything's now. up from there Matty <laughs> you can't get much <laughs> you know, everything's up from there <laughs> so uh, I suppose to finish off and to uh, thank you for your time here in, in the folk house uh, I suppose is, is there one thing that you wish uh consumers knew not about Irish whiskey because obviously we went down that rabbit hole one thing you know about the process of Pierce Lines or the history or the something that you know doesn't get captured or maybe expressed the full way in the marketing that you really love talking about about the company you work for that people don't know about like what do you have something like that you'd love to tell people right now I, I suppose we touched on all of it a little bit through the through the, the talk here uh, this afternoon but um, I suppose in a nutshell that um, Pierce Lyons came from a brewing distilling background it was his first passion and he's gone back into it because it's his first passion and you know it's not um, because it's popular you know he started 
he's, uh, 2009, he started the town branch distillery in Lexington. He wanted to go back into the brewing and distilling side of uh, the business and he wanted to come back and do it in Ireland. And I suppose if people understand that, you know, everything from the yeast that we use, the, the care that's taken in the whole process, everything from the yeast that we use to start with is in-house um, cultivated by Alltech. The barrels that we use, or ex the experiment barrels we use, are from our town branch distillery in Lexington. And I suppose I'm here today talking about Pure Science Whiskey because of his vision and his passion um, and his wife's support, Deirdre Lyons' support in in this side of the business. And uh, it, it's fantastic to be able to realise this now um, while we're having one of the Pierce Whiskies um, that, you know, to, to see it all come to fruition at the end of the day. And, you know, you said earlier on about the phenomenal job in the distillery that um, Dr. Miss Lyons did on the distillery. But I suppose, and you, you'd obviously know the monetary investment into that, and you were, you were kind of saying that, you know, it mightn't be seen as particularly a commercial entity. It was more of a labour of love entity. It was meant to be a commercial entity. Two weeks after Pierce and Deirdre bought the distillery in Dublin, obviously someone in Dublin Corporation had looked up to see who had bought it, thought this is, this is a fantastic person because they're going to have um, independent wealth. And it got turned into a national monument two weeks after them buying the distillery. <laughs> so basically, like they would have done a phenomenal job anyway. But what would it, what was meant to be an eighteen month project ended up being a four year project. What ended up being an X amount project financially ended up to be an X by four percent. Well, Connor, thank you very much for giving us a part of your background and for introducing us to I suppose the background of yourself and you know Pierce Lyons uh, Distillery. And all tech, and uh, I suppose for the glass of a bit of Pierce Lines. So I will say uh, thank you very much, Gramila Malgat, August uh, Slonche. Slonche. Thanks, buddy. If you want to learn more about the fantastic whiskey that Pierce Lines Distillery makes, you should check out PierceLinesDistillery.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe to Potstill Radio or subscribe to our newsletter on Potstill.com. Or, if you have any questions for me and you want to reach out directly, catch me on Twitter at potstilled underscore. And until then, sláinte agus gan lat. <laughs>